so I've always lived in the clock and yet I know so many creative people that just when they look at deadlines they just fall apart I mean they really crumble under the weight of deadlines and so I, I went online and I discovered there's millions of books on creativity and really not much at all out there on how to be creative when you're really under the pressure of a deadline when the clock is ticking when you have to deliver welcome to the leadership download podcast happy new year and I really wish that everyone that's listening and have been listening uh, throughout the years wish you a happy new year and wish you the best year uh, to come. And to start off 2024, we have an awesome, amazing speaker that I had the opportunity to meet with is Phil Cook. Phil Cook is founder and CEO of Cook Media Group. Um, He is a producer in Hollywood and has written several books and we're going to be talking about one of his latest books that came out ideas on a deadline how to be creative when the clock is ticking so we're going to be talking about how to manage time when we have deadlines and uh this is such an amazing interview and conversation that i had with phil cook um he's a hollywood producer like i mentioned uh, he's helped out several nonprofit organizations, churches, and ministries uh, on a global scale. And Phil has been called one of the most innovative communicators of our generation. And you're going to learn so much from Phil. And I really hope you enjoy this episode. Well, Phil, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Well, thank you, Cameron. This is a real honor. I'm thrilled to be here. I always love talking about creativity. So this is the perfect place. Uh, Yeah, it's so awesome. I mean, I'm in a good place in terms of wanting to talk about this topic of creativity. And uh, I'm so honored to have you on. I read this book when it first launched. And uh, it's so awesome to get the chance to meet you and and have you on the podcast. Well, I'm thrilled to be here. Hit me with your best shot. Awesome. So um, (laughs) for those listening, uh, Phil Cook released a book called Ideas on a Deadline. And um, we're really going to unpack this book a little bit. So Phil, um, I know you're you're an uh, amazing writer yourself, and you've written many books. And uh, what was the heart of behind this book, Ideas on a Deadline? Probably the heart of the book comes in the subtitle, How to Be Creative When the Clock is Ticking. You know, it's interesting. I've spent my whole life in, creative, in the creative business, uh, whether it's advertising, writing books, scripts, filmmaking, television producing, those kind of things. And it's, I, I tell people, I've always lived under the clock. You know, I've, I've done, I, we produced a couple Super Bowl commercials and I discovered they're not going to change the date of the Super Bowl because I don't have a good enough idea for a TV commercial. So I've always lived in the clock. And yet I know so many creative people that just, when, when they look at deadlines, they just fall apart. I mean, they really crumble under the weight of deadlines. And so I, I went online and I discovered there's millions of books on creativity and really not much at all out there on how to be creative when you're really under the pressure of a deadline, when the clock is ticking, when you have to deliver. And so I just thought I would go back into my experience over all the years of doing this stuff. And then I also talked to a lot of advertising agency creative people in New York and here in Hollywood where I live. We talked to a lot of producers and writers and directors and uh, did a lot of research just to find out what are the best techniques? What are the best ways that uh, will help really unlock creativity when the pressure is on? So that's kind of the heart of the book. That's where it came out of. And I really wanted to focus on helping people do exactly that. 
Yeah, I've enjoyed rereading this, uh, preparing for the podcast. And one of the things I liked um, that you talked about in the beginning of the book is you differentiated what's an artist and also the term of what's an artisan. So can you unpack that a little bit and what's the sure. difference between the two? Yeah, I'll probably get a lot of pushback. There's a lot of people that might uh, be critical of my definition, but really an artist is somebody that produces things because of the beauty alone, because of the creativity alone. They're not trying to deliver a script on time. They're not trying to deliver any kind of a design for a graphic or something else. They're really trying to be creative. So you can sit on your back porch and do watercolors and uh, it doesn't matter the pressure. It doesn't matter. There's no time limit. Uh, you can just be creative to be creative. An artisan, on the other hand, usually has a purpose in what they're doing. So I would say, uh, uh, if you want to, if you want to write the great American novel but don't really care about publishing it, that's being an artist. If you want to be an artisan, you're writing commercial scripts. You're doing something that you get paid for, that you have to deliver on time. And so I've always viewed the creativity I do more on the artisan level. I love artists. I, I've been. I was on the board of Image. Image Journal for a number of years, which is a fantastic journal geared toward art and um, artists. But I think that artisan describes what I do because I'm doing, I'm using creativity in the service of some purpose. So whether a company hires me to create a television program for them or a TV commercial, um, whatever I'm doing, I'm usually doing it for, to get paid. And I think a lot of us need to understand that that's okay. You know, I think that the things we do for a living can be highly creative. And so it doesn't necessarily mean we're an artist. I'm not going to do any, I'm not going to compete with Michelangelo, but I'm trying to do things that will make a difference for people and really provide a service. Yeah. That's, that's another thing that comes to mind is when um, being in the creative space is I think there's oftentimes there is a lot of comparison that goes on. Oh, I want to be like that person. I want to be like yeah. this person or I want to be this influencer. Um, can you unpack that a little bit? And what's your take on that is, um, I think, staying in your own lane and honing in on your own uniqueness? Absolutely. I, I'm. I, first of all, comparison is deadly. I think the worst thing we can possibly do is compare ourselves to other people, compare our work to other people. Certainly, we can look to other people as a guide, as an example, as a standard. But trying to compare ourselves, I just have discovered it never ends well, never ends well. And I wrote a book years ago called One Big Thing, Discovering What You Were Born to Do. Because I, I learned that most people, you know, I've talked to people in their 60s and 70s who have worked their whole life and some of them have been successful, but they'll tell me, you know, Phil, I never really understood why I was put on the earth, what I was supposed to do with my life. And I think being unique, being different is so incredibly important. Finding that niche, finding that area where you can do things that nobody else does like you. And I find it's interesting, um, Cameron, that a lot of people, I don't care what you do, you could be a plumber, you could be a teacher, you could be a coach. And the thing is, there's a lot of plumbers out there and teachers and coaches out there. But when you think about your past, your unique gifts and abilities, your perspective, you become different from everybody else. And so I just think that's an incredibly important thing to, to figure out what makes us unique, what are we put on the earth to accomplish and focus on that thing. Mm, that's great. I think one of the challenges also being a creative is also um, being disciplined. Yeah. Um, just myself, just getting out of the nine to five uh, job and now being in the creative space, developing yeah. uh, my own brand, different brands, um, being uh, an entrepreneur, um, I, being disciplined can be 
very difficult. So why does being disciplined even matter? Well, when you're working on your own, particularly like you say, if you're a freelancer, you don't have a boss looking over your shoulder. Certainly you may have clients, you may have studios or or other you know publishing houses or agents or whatever, but it's not the same as being in an office with deadlines and a boss around you. You have to discipline yourself to make it happen. And that's one of the reasons I think deadlines are so important. I, you know, the funny little secret is I won't even accept a project unless it has a deadline. In fact, even worse, I don't even start working on a project till I see that deadline looming in the distance. You know, that that's something about seeing that deadline approaching gets my blood pumping, gets the adrenaline flowing. I, I've talked to airline pilots who said, you know, Phil, at takeoff, when I see that end of the runway rushing up, it really gets you focused. And I, I'm the same way with creative projects. And so the interesting thing about deadlines, though, Cameron, is that when you have a deadline, you can back time everything you need to do from that. I know when I have to do my research. I know when I have to read or study. I know when I actually need to sit down and start writing. So deadlines are really critical for that, helping us have that discipline to be able to deliver. But you're exactly right. I'm a big believer that we have to show up. We have to show up every day. If you're a writer, you need to write every day. Um, someone once said the art of creativity is the art of connecting the seat of your pants to the seat of a chair. And I think mm -hmm. that's exactly right. You you have to show up. You have to be there. Do it on a regular basis if people are going to take you seriously. Yeah. Oh, so what are the some of the things that you do to um, stay disciplined, especially when meeting deadlines and uh, being in the creative space that you're in? Great question. I you know I learned early on that we all live by circadian rhythm. You know, there's times of day when we're at our best, and there's times of day when we're not so bad, so so great. And for me, I discovered that from six a.m. to noon, I'm the most creative I will be all day. I mean, I can do intense creative work, whether it's write a book or write a script or come up with ideas for a project. In the morning, I'm amazing. I, I really can focus really hard. After lunch, I'm pretty worthless. I, uh, you know, from then on, I can teach, I can do podcasts, I can travel, I can go to meetings, but intense creativity, forget it if it's afternoon. So other people, my, my wife, Kathleen, for instance, she keeps rock star hours. She becomes amazing at night. She loves to focus at night. Other people, and this is really funny, Cameron, there's a small sliver of people out there, research indicates, that are highly creative right after lunch. I don't understand that. I want to take a nap. But right after lunch, some people are super creative. So the point is, find that time of day. Find the time of day when you're at your best and it will become so much easier. And even if you're working for a living, even if you have an office, I remember when early in my career, when I discovered this, I was working at an office, but I would come in when I discovered morning was my best time. I discovered I would come in two hours early and focus those two hours on my own writing projects. And so, you know, it was two hours before the office, you know, came alive, before other employees came in, before the phone started ringing. So I'd come in and from six to eight in the morning, I would focus on my books. And I wrote my first two books in those two hour slots every single day. So I discovered that two hours at our best is much better than four or five or six hours at our worst. So first of all, that discipline of the time of day is important. And the second thing I would say quickly is find the right place. You know, all of us, are brilliant in the right environment. For, people, for, for me, for instance, I have a low distraction, well, I should say a high distraction factor. Everything distracts me. So I can't have the TV on, I can't have the radio on, I can't be listening to music. I've gotta be really, really focused. And so other people, I've saw some research recently that indicates the dull roar of coffee shop conversation is very stimulating to some people. So that, that's why you see all these people with their laptops over at Starbucks during the day. 
uh, whatever that environment is for you, find it and customize it to yourself. A lot of research, Cameron, indicates that a customized workspace really amps up our creativity. So those two things alone, the time of day that you're best and where you're best, find that location for you to really work. Those two things alone can really help your discipline to do, help you, you know, amp up your discipline so you'll be able to do some amazing things. Yeah, that, that's an interesting concept. There was a book I think I read about about that, how to manage your, your or understand your energy levels throughout your day rather yeah. than just trying to manage your schedule. Because especially being a person, um, a creative, you know, you have to find those times where you're most alert, where you're most be able to write and create and finding those high, high peak times where you're able to be productive. And also- yeah. It's really true. And you know, the truth is, I have ideas pop in my head all the time. So I may be on a plane. I be, it may be at night. Last night, I woke up at three in the morning with an idea, got up, wrote it down. Uh, by the way, ideas are the most fragile thing in the world. If you don't write them down when they pop in your head, you will forget them. I even, I went on Amazon and got a, got a pin. It's called a pilot's pin and it has a little light on the end. And mm -hmm. so I can get up in the middle of the night, turn on that little light, turn on my pins light and write the note down and see what I'm writing and without waking up my wife, Kathleen. So um, little things like that, write it down. If you get it down, it'll help. It'll make a big difference. So little things like that can make a dramatic difference for helping your creativity. Yeah, actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because that leads into what I wanted to talk about next. In the book, you talk about the Eureka moment, having a Eureka moment. And yeah. uh, these are like the aha moments. So how do you, uh, in, in addition to writing, and I struggle with this too, because like I have so many ideas going through my head on a day-to-day -day basis. And oftentimes when it's time to act on it, I already forgot about the idea. So how do you make, <laughs> how do you make these Eureka moments work for you? Well, a couple things. I mean, number one, you know, Eureka moments are fantastic. I love them. However, don't depend on them. The truth is mm. you can't depend on them. The One of the reasons I wrote the book is there are techniques you can use that will amp up your creativity when you have to deliver. If you're waiting for that Eureka moment, you may be waiting forever. You just never, ever know. And you have a presentation due on Tuesday or you have a deadline for a project on Wednesday. You have to be able to hit it. So I wrote the book, Ideas on a Deadline, just to help people understand that waiting for that deadline is, is I mean, waiting for that Eureka moment is a waste because chances are it may never happen. But when it does, and I'm grateful for every Eureka moment I have, when it does, I want to be able to capture that moment. And I'm I'm fanatical about it. I, you know, I'm, I met a businessman one day who had an idea that he jotted down on a piece of paper, um, put it in his pocket. He was at the mall with his wife and completely forgot about it. And six months later, he went to his closet, pulled out, pulled out that jacket, reached his hand in the pocket, found that note and remembered it and really acted on it, launched a business based on the idea he had. And two years later, sold that company for $70, 70 million. And when he told me about this, this, he said, Phil, you know, the, the important thing to remember, it's not the 70 million, how, you know, that's awesome. But he said, had I not written it down, I would have completely forgotten about that idea. So I carry around a wallet with note cards in it. I carry a little notebook with me. I've got a couple apps on my iPhone where I can e instantly and quickly jot down an idea. I just want to be in that place. I mean, you never know where that idea that could change your life will land and, and when it'll drop in on you. And you just need to be able to capture that idea. So I will never be caught without a pen and a pencil. And um, I always want to be able to capture those ideas when they do hit because you just never know. Mm, yeah, that's awesome. And I, I think finding your own way of capturing it too, 
because uh, there's yeah. so many different ways out there capturing it. Like, um, I have a crazy way of capturing ideas. I have I have had the journal for years now, and um, oftentimes there's no rhyme or rhythm in how the notes are captured, and you have to go back and try to figure out uh, what yeah. I wrote, where I wrote it. <laughs> That's true. I've been through that. I've been through, you know, you're exactly right. Um, having a system, there's a guy online named yeah. Tiago Forte. He's got a great Instagram feed and a great t Twitter feed and he lives for productivity. He's a little more obsessed than I am, but he has some great, great ideas about capturing information because if a, a, if you can't capture it, you've lost it forever, but B, how do you capture it in a way that you can sort it, organize it. So it's at your fingertips when you need it. He calls it having a second brain. And I think he's exactly right. Having a great note-taking system and a great to-do list yeah. really does make the creative process a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. Um, so in the book, also, you talk about um, pursuing your passion and also being gifted to accomplish. Uh, can you differentiate what this means and compare the two? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, we all have gifts. Everybody has gifts. Uh, you know, I did some sport. I directed some sports for ESPN years ago and I would talk to athletes and they would tell me, you know, Phil, I was always just the fastest guy in my neighborhood, or I was the guy that could throw the football the furthest, or I was the guy that could sink that basket when nobody else could. So I think we're all born with certain gifts. I, I in my book, one big thing, I talk about the fact that other people often notice it before us. I mean, think about if you were on the prom committee at high school, you sat around a table and, you know, somebody said, Bob, you're great with numbers. Why don't you be the, the treasurer? Susan, you're fantastic in front of people. Why don't you host it? Uh, Sam, you're creative. Why don't you come up with a theme? Other people see what we're really talented at before we do very often. And we need to think about those things. What can we do that most people in our group aren't as good at doing? And start maybe focusing there. And I think that's a really important issue with all of this. And so, but but the tr truth is we're born with gifts that if we don't activate them, if we don't use them, it doesn't do us any good. Absolutely doesn't do us any good. I see incredible, you know, working in Hollywood, I see incredibly talented writers and directors and producers that have amazing gifts, but they just haven't cultivated those gifts. So they're never going to really reach their pinnacle, reach their peak. I had a director I worked with one time that, he was just an incredibly gifted director, but he had no people skills whatsoever. Even though his work was absolutely brilliant, he couldn't get along with anybody. He drove his crew away. Uh, he was a commercial. He, did, he, he directed television commercials. Um, agencies couldn't work with him because he was just, he just had no people skills. He didn't put any effort into learning how to get along, how to inspire and motivate people. So no matter how gifted he was, he was never going to achieve where he needed to go. So I think having those gifts is one thing, but being able to turn those into something productive and amazing is something entirely different. I, I, you know, it's funny. I've often said that learning people skills are just as important as the skills it takes to do your job. I think if you, no matter how brilliant and creative you are, if you can't get along with your team, if you can't get along with your boss, your clients, the people you work with, you're never going to go very far. So Number one, figure out what your talent is. What were you, you know, what was that thing you were put on the earth to accomplish with your life? And number two, learn the kind of people skills that will help you. And I can tell you from filmmaking, a life in, you know, the creative media business, it takes a team. I can't go create a television commercial or a film or a television program by myself. If I can't motivate and inspire people to come around me and help me, then I failed. Yeah. And I think another component of that, as you're building a team and put focusing on what you're good at and then you bring people alongside you to help yes. you in areas that you may not be good at 
Yeah. Steve Jobs said an interesting, had an interesting quote one time. He said, why do we, you know, we don't hire creative people to tell them what to do. We hire creative people. So they'll tell us what to do. So you always want to be surrounded with people smarter than you. I, I've always, in my case, that's easy because I'm not, I'm not a genius by any means, but I, I've often understood that I want to be challenged by my team. I want them to be amazing. And it doesn't, I'm not insecure about it. It doesn't make me feel bad. It doesn't make me, you know, become a jerk like it does with some people. I just think become secure enough in your identity and your skill set so that you can surround yourself with people smarter than me. And I'll tell you, a rising tide raises all boats. They will help elevate you and make a big difference for you. So I think you're absolutely right on. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes when we're in the creative space or maybe having these ideas of, of things that we want to do, um, it can be oftentimes ch very challenging to always say yes, always say yes. And sometimes saying yes to some things might not be the best thing for us. Yeah. It, it pro It's probably something that consumes our time and it's not really productive to our vision or our mission of what we're going forward with. And I'm sure you, you talked about some of your experiences of this as well in the book of, you know, starting to have the discipline of, yeah. of saying no. So how does one start to have this discipline? Of <laughs> That's a great, <laughs> great question. My, one of my favorite quotes is from investor Warren Buffett, who said the difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no most of the time. Yeah. And when you think about it, you know, we, we want to be nice people. We want to be gracious. We want to help people that surround us. And, you know, we often get into a trap of always saying, yes, I, I'm Bob, when you go down to the street, will you get me some coffee or Susan, when you go down the hallway, give me that file. And we always mm -hmm. want to help. But the truth is, I feel like if we're called to do something really special with our lives, if we feel like we have a purpose for what we're doing, we're going to have to say no to a lot of things. And some of those things might be really good things, but we're going to have to be very, very careful and say no to things that maybe are not going in the direction we want to go with our lives. And so it's it, people really struggle with this. It's really funny. I, I in the book, I actually, I actually list five or six ways to tell people no in a nice way. You don't have to be a jerk. You know, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be ugly or rude to people, but I think people need to understand, Hey, you've got a, you've got a vision. You've got a purpose for your life. You're going somewhere and you need to focus a lot on that. Doesn't mean we have to say no to everybody, but I do think, put it this way, your yes will lose its meaning if you don't say no a lot of the time. You know, mm. after a while, if you're saying yes to everybody, it's going to lose its meaning. It won't mean anything. And you've got to say no sometimes to people for them to know that you're serious about your career, you're serious about your life, you're moving forward and want to accomplish something. So I really would encourage people watching, listening. I would encourage you absolutely learn to say, so you know, can start, you can start small, uh, be very careful. Don't, don't immediately say no to your boss, but, uh, and the next request, but start small and start, uh, put it this way. I, 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 early in my career, my first assistant, Jeanette, I'll never forget her. She was fantastic. She walked into my office one day and I've got a bad habit of helping people with their career. They come into my office, they plop down on the sofa and want some advice about their career. And, um, I was saying yes way too often. And one day Jeanette walked into my office and she said, you know what? For the last month, I've been tracking your time and you spend more time helping other people with their career than you do helping our team and our company with their career, helping us grow. 
And she said, you can keep doing that if you want, but if you do, we'll be out of business in probably six months. And I'll tell you, it was a wake up call. And so we started building a little wall around Phil so that not everybody gets through to Phil, not everybody, you know, and it's, it, it, again, it's not about being rude. It's about protecting your time to help you accomplish the things you feel like you're supposed to accomplish with your life. If we don't say no, at least some of the time, we'll never be able to make that happen. Yeah, that that's often a challenge that that I have is, you know, especially when it comes to people is always saying yes, being the people pleaser and, yep. you know, trying to add value wherever you can. But oftentimes, yeah, that trying to do that often it'll suck up all your time and then you you lose sight of your vision and your mission and where you're headed towards. You know, you could you don't have to lie to people. You can start by saying, you know, I'm committed on that day, or I have mm -hmm. a project I'm working on this afternoon. I won't be able to do it. Um, you could say a lot of things. Maybe we'll revisit this in a month. I just, you know, I don't have the time in my schedule for that right now. I turned a project down this morning by just telling them that literally we're we're just spending too much time filming right now, and we just don't have time to work it in. So, like I say do it in a nice way, be gracious, and maybe leave the door open for the future if you want to. But um, people understand. And, and I think it actually helps your credibility. If, if you're always saying yes, people will start assuming, man, you're just sitting around all day, you have nothing to do. But if you start saying no, because you're busy doing this, or you have this meeting, or you're working on this project, or you have this deadline, people start to understand, wow, Cameron is really going somewhere with his life. He's quite busy. Maybe I want to really hook up and partner with him on something in the future. So it really does help even your perception, not just your ability to be productive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've I've had uh, a lot of people say no for, for various reasons, but then I get even a greater yes on, on later down the road. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So true. Um, so Phil, what, what are some best practices that you would recommend to, for those to really deepen into our creativity? Well, one of the things that I talk about, a number of the things I talk about in the book are, are issues like getting out of the office. Sometimes we sit in our desk and we beat our head against the wall, trying to come up with that idea. And it's just never going to happen. One of the things that's been the most go-to technique in the history of the world is walking going for a walk. Beethoven in Vienna would walk around with notepaper in his hand and a pen. People would remark about how he just walked around town. And when an idea hit him, he would start writing the music. Um, there's theologians, Kierkegaard, the Dan famous Danith Danish theologian said, I've walked myself into my best ideas. He walked for miles and miles and miles. Um, a number of years ago, I was in London and I picked up a little book. I mean, a very small little paperback called Night Walks by Charles Dickens. I'd never heard of it before and I'm a big Dickens fan. And I got it. And it's, it's a document, kind of a chronicle about a period he went through where he had a horrible insomnia for a number of months. And he would get up in the middle of the night and go walking through downtown London. And, and people got concerned about him because he would walk for 30 miles sometimes. And uh, But he would walk through downtown London in the middle of the night. And historians today look back and many of them will say some of his greatest characters came out of people he saw, drunks, prostitutes, crazy people, you know, all kind of people in the middle of the night out working or walking around in London. So I think that number one, walking makes a big difference. I know for me, when I get stuck, I'm a, I'm a block from the Verdugo Mountains here in Los Angeles, and I'll just walk up a block and start heading into a, the mountains and walk around, and it makes a dramatic difference for me. And the reason is you let your mind go. You know, walking doesn't take a lot of thinking. I, I tried shooting baskets, and it wasn't the same way because I was focusing, focusing so much on my shot 
I wasn't coming up with ideas, but walking, you can do it without thinking. It's a subconscious thing. So you go for a walk, your mind wanders, and suddenly you start making connections you never dreamed about. So I think that's an important, important issue. Another thing I think is really critical is understanding, understanding our dreams. I mean, if, you know, most people will tell me they don't dream. Well, research indicates everybody dreams. We just don't practice remembering those dreams. And so- a little quick technique before you go to bed at night, just say to yourself, I'm going to remember whatever I dream about tonight and just start getting in the habit of just reminding yourself, don't ruminate on it because you'll never sleep, but just say, I'm going to remember my dream and keep a notepad and a pencil by your bed or a pen. And the minute you wake up from a dream or you have an idea, jot it down. And, and one thing, when you wake up in the morning, don't necessarily jump out of bed. Just lay there for a minute and try to think about what did I dream about last night? You could actually get back into a habit. I kept a dream diary for almost a year back in my 20s. And I, I still am fascinated by going through and reading it. And so little things like that. I mean, a lot of it, Thomas Edison experimented with dreams. Salvador Dali, the artist, experimented with dreams. And naps are the same way. So dreams are important. If we can tap into that, the Bible, a lot of ancient literature talks about dreams a lot. So there's something there and it may not give you the complete answer, but in my case, it often makes connections that I would have never thought of in my regular life. And, and a third thing I would just say real quickly is don't start the project too soon. I think that a big reason for creative block or writer's block is we start the project too soon and we really have nothing there. I hold back starting a project as long as I can. I'll study it. I'll read it. I'll go on location if it's a film project or something and study it and look at it. But I don't start writing or putting real creative ideas down until I absolutely have to. Like I mentioned earlier, I see that deadline looming in the distance. And what I discovered is by holding as long as I can, I've been processing it, thinking about it, rolling it around in my head. When I do sit down to type, I often can't type fast enough for the ideas flowing out of me. So very often we start too soon. We really have nothing there yet. So I would encourage people try to hold off. It's scary sometimes because you do see that deadline in the distance, but try, try practicing, holding off a little more and a little more and a little more so that when you do finally sit down, you'll have a little pressure on you, but you'll, you'd be amazed at the ideas that start coming. So those are little practical ideas for helping. I, I go into many more in the book, but um, those are some early ideas for getting started. Awesome. Well, um, hope people can get a copy of this book, Ideas on the Deadline. It's definitely helped me in my creative journey. And for those listening, it's definitely going to help you. Uh, Phil, uh, it has been an awesome time getting to know you and uh, meeting you and also this conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much for, for, for doing this. Great questions, Cameron. Thank you. It's been terrific. Awesome. Um, also, uh, final thing, uh, your other books, what are some other of your favorite books that you would uh, recommend? Well, if you're into the creative world, I, I, I would urge you to get ideas on a deadline, obviously, but also my book, One Big Thing, Discovering What You Were Born to Do. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever. Um, it's really designed for people who struggle with figuring out what am I supposed to do with my life? What am I put on the earth to accomplish? How do I find what those creative talents are that I have that I was born with that I could develop into something special? So I, I, they, they'd be great companion books, Ideas on a Deadline and One Big Thing, Discovering What You Were Born to Do. Get those two and it'll really, I think, rock your world and help you amp up your creativity and your productivity as well. Awesome. And for those listening, you could find the links at the podcast description. 
on whichever platform you, list you are listening on. Well, thank you so much, Phil, for all your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Leadership Download Podcast. I really hope this conversation with Phil Cook being our first episode of the 2024, that you gained a lot of value talking about ideas on a deadline and how to be creative when that clock is ticking. And feel free to get your copy of that book. All the links are in the podcast description on whichever platform you're listening on. And really hope that we are able to continue add value to your leadership journey wherever you're at. And, you know, some of you might be thinking, you know, I'm, I'm having such a difficult time. It's a just I feel stuck. I have some issues, whether it's with myself as an individual, your team or the organization as a whole. Oftentimes, a lot of these these pain points that we're having, whether it's ourselves, the team or organization wide is oftentimes there's a leadership issue there. And if you if you are looking to share your issues, wanting to. Um, just gain an understanding of leadership and maybe even seek out some leadership advice, support um, in some fashion. Uh, we have uh, the solutions at every level and in any form and format. We are able to um, provide things in person, hybrid, and also on an online format. So if you want to find out more and connect with us, you can either send us an email, info at tcadvisorygroup.com, or you can schedule a free discovery call with us. We'll give you 30 minutes of our time. Feel free to ask us any questions and just anything that you have on your mind. Maybe it came out from this podcast or previous episodes. We want to hear from you. So you can send us an email or you can see the link to schedule a free discovery call with us for 30 minutes. And you'll you'll be in on a call with all the the individuals within our company steve travis and myself and uh we we can help you in in any way and um thank you so much for tuning in to the leadership download podcast and again if you want to find out more about tc advisor group you can go to tcadvisorgroup.com and find out more about all the solutions that we can provide to not only elevate your leadership but empower you and your organization and take it to the next level Thank you again, and we'll catch you on a special episode, episode 100, next Wednesday. You are in store for an amazing interview. It's going to be Steve, myself, and Travis on the podcast. We're going to be reflecting on 2023 and share some awesome, exciting things coming on within the new year that you can take advantage of as well. So thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next episode.